Hello, and welcome to another episode of Beauty of Birth Podcast. Today I am going to be talking to a friend of mine named Kristen. I also clean for her, help her clean occasionally, which is kind of, which is how we became friends. Her episode is quite long as she talks about all five of her kids' births, but it is really interesting and she has a lot of good things to say. And she is well experienced as she's had five children. Like won't be coming out with episodes as frequently this summer. I'm going to try to get them out as much as I can still, but we are really busy this summer as we're going we're actually leaving tomorrow for, to go to BC and Alberta for two weeks with my husband's family. So that's really exciting. And then we'll come home for a couple weeks, but then we have weddings and we're going to my family's cottage for two weeks which I'm very excited about and then we have camping so I will continue to try getting birth podcasts but I just don't know how often I'll get them out but once we're back to the fall I hope to do it more frequently again but I'm very excited for more birth stories in the future so I hope that you enjoy listening to Kristen's birth stories hello hi today i am here with Kristen. if you wanted to start out by just telling everyone just a little bit about you and your family sure so i am married to paul we've been married for oh goodness i think it's 14 years this summer i'm terrible at remembering <laughs> yes 14 because our oldest will be 13 in november and we have five kids and uh, they range from well almost 13 and the youngest is two so that's kind of how big our family is or how small compared to some other families (laughs) what do you guys like to do for fun like what is your what do you do well my kids really enjoy being outdoors and drawing they love drawing especially like this past year they've really spent a lot of time going through paper and uh when it's when it's nice out you know they enjoy bike rides and going swimming and and reading all of our kids love reading which has been really nice um we can just sit down and like read and go through books like the older kids can obviously read to themselves Mm -hmm. and they go through a lot of chapter books and uh, our, my oldest really likes historical fiction books like Little House on the Prairie, those types. And uh, my youngest love picture books. So we can mm-hmm. like read through Dr. Seuss in an afternoon. We'll just go through book after book. Or they like the Franklin books or just lots. Um, so yeah, we all love reading. And I like to read in my own time. Uh, I really like young adult fiction. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of times, like, some sci-fi. I just finished a book called Glitch that was really oh, well-written. That's cool. About, like, teenagers time-traveling and trying to save history and preserve it when other people are trying to alter it. So I pre-read a lot of young adult fiction for my older two that are um, 11 and 12 because there's a lot of garbage out there. So I want to mm-hmm. make sure that they read, like, quality books. And then once I'm done, if I give it a thumbs up, then I'm like, okay, here's the next book you guys get to read. <laughs> so they keep busy reading. Yeah, we do a lot of reading in our house. That's fun. So if you want to start with your pregnancy, 
how your pregnancy was. You can, if you want, I don't know if you want to talk about one kid at a time or what you want to do, but. Sure. Well, I can kind of categorize mine by female versus male pregnancies. <laughs> so my, the, any, I have three girls and two boys and the, the pregnancies with the girls were generally harder, um, especially with my first and fourth. Like lots, like pregnancy, nausea, the whole pregnancy, like throwing up even like while giving birth, like it was just lots of nausea, especially at the beginning with those, with the girl pregnancies, it was um, debilitating. Mm. I couldn't even like make food for the kids. So when I was pregnant with our fourth, it was kind of like, all right, here are like these applesauce packs and like <laughs> cheese sticks and crackers, and that's what you're going to have until dad gets home. <laughs> yeah, you just got to do what you can. Yeah, just kind of survive. Um, and then my second pregnancy was a boy, and I didn't even know I was pregnant at first until I started craving hummus, which like with my first pregnancy, I craved hummus, and then I started <laughs> craving it again. I was like, I must be pregnant. And really um, it, that pregnancy wasn't so bad physically because, well, I thought it was because I had a boy. It was eventually when I found out it was a boy. And I was like, well, it must be a boy because this pregnancy is easier. And then with our third, he was a boy. And then um, I was actually very nauseous at the beginning and craved hummus. And that's when I was like, oh, I must be pregnant again. Um, but then the, the nausea subsided around like 16, 17 weeks and didn't come back. And so um, I was like, oh, well, I, so I thought he was going to be a girl because I was throwing up a lot, like had to go to the hospital um, and was oh, almost no. put on an IV because I couldn't keep anything down. Um, but then it subsided. And so I was like, oh, it must be a girl, but it ended up being a boy. And then the next pregnancy was just awful <laughs> and she was a girl so your girl ones were worse is what you're for saying. the most part but um my last baby number five is a was a was a girl or okay. is a girl she's still a girl will always be a female <laughs> and um it wasn't like I didn't even know I was pregnant until like six weeks six and a half weeks when I was just like I'm really tired and hungry and just grumpy and Paul was like, oh, you must be pregnant. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, I am. I'm like, I, I guess I'm like 10 days late. I didn't even realize it. <laughs> um, and her pregnancy, like I was sick and nauseous uh, up until I'd say like maybe 18 weeks I started to feel better. Hmm. Um, and so I thought that it was going to be a boy just because it was n not as severe of nausea and throwing up. With my two, with my other two girls, I was on Diclectin. Like I took it the whole pregnancy, and if I stopped taking it, then I immediately like it was just like vomiting all day, every day. Oh. So oh. I just so I just assumed it was going to be a boy. But then looking back, I think it's because with my second pregnancy and my fifth pregnancy, I was still nursing, mm. and so I still kind of had some hormones in my body. So maybe they didn't hit me as hard, or it was just the Lord's grace. Because I had a nine-month-old when I was pregnant with my second. And I had four other kids. My youngest was, I want to say she was 14 months when we got pregnant. Okay. So, <laughs> it was nice to not be as deathly ill. Or, I mean, it felt like that. When you're just, yeah. like, standing, like, with my fourth, with the girl, standing up out of bed. 
as soon as I would stand up, I was like, I have to throw up. Yeah. So it was a real, like, the, the, the two older girl pregnancies were really rough. Like, the whole time you were sick, too? Yeah. Yeah, the, the whole pregnancy. Okay. Wrong. The whole pregnancy, and it would be, like, night and, like, all day and all night. Like, if I woke up oh. in the middle of the night to pee, sometimes I'd be like, okay, now I'm going to throw up because I got out of bed. It was really rough. Oh, that is I really mean, rough. worth it? Yeah. And I was so glad when I was done. And then with those two difficult girl pregnancies, I also had, like, that really bad metallic taste in my mouth the whole time. So whenever I hear other moms or mothers-to-be, like, there is a, a young mom-to-be, well, she's a mom. And she's about to have her first. Tell me, she's like, "Oh man, I'm just. Am I gonna be sick the rest of my life? Like I thought it was just the first <laughs> trimester." And I'm like, "I promise you, like I have had some awful, like sick all the way through pregnancies. Like as soon as you deliver the baby, it like stops. <laughs> I don't know why. I could see why you might think that, like, because that would be kind of scary. Like, well, I'm gonna be sick the whole time. Yeah, so. and those nine months feel like." nine years sometimes and you're just like sick all the time and you're like before this I was able to do all these things and now I'm barely able to function yeah so it doesn't last your whole life right but um, it is significant like it is. nine months is a long time too. it is yeah and there are still some food aversions that I have that oh really have never gone away huh. after yeah or like when I was really sick with a, those more nauseous pregnancies there are certain songs that if I hear them it just triggers that memory oh. of being like extremely nauseous and sick and I'm just like I can't listen to the song that's really interesting it makes yeah. me want to throw up can we please turn it off wow yeah, it is weird I'm, I'm sure eventually that will go away I don't know <laughs> I mean for the one pregnancy it was eight over eight years ago so you would think that those songs wouldn't bring up but they do. It's like that smell memory is just <laughs> ingrained in there. So, yeah, those were the pregnancies. They were, for the, the two girls in the pregnancies were pretty similar. And then the one, the second pregnancy that was a boy was fairly easy. And so was number five. And I think it was because I was still nursing. I generally nurse until a child weans. Okay. So... For some, that's been up to the age of three, and then others, it's like, weaned, they weaned themselves around two years. Um, and I didn't go into nursing that way. I remember mm -hmm. when I had my first, and my aunt asked me the question. She said, so how long are you going to nurse baby? I'm like, well, my goal is to at least six months, because that's what you know they say best, like six months of breast. And then we got to six months, and I was like, all right, well, maybe we'll go another six months. And then she was a year old, and I was like, mm, we'll just go. And yeah. then after I, she was, she was almost weaned, but then when I gave birth, she was um, 17 months old when I gave birth to our second. And as soon as she saw him nursing, then she wanted it more. And, you know, it's difficult going from yeah. an only child to having a sibling and, you know, mama's all of a sudden busy. So I was like, all right, well, if it's going to comfort you, and sure, why not? And then around the time that he stopped around two, then she was obviously done. And it was just at, like, bedtime. It was mostly for her at yeah. that point, like, at the age of almost, like, three. 
it was pretty much like, okay, she has it. She drinks for like a minute before bedtime, yeah. and then she's done. So then when she was three, I was like, all right, no more milk. You're a big girl now. And she got like her went from a toddler bed to like a big girl bed. So that was how she was weaned. And number five is still nursing. So we'll see how that. <laughs> I don't know how that's gonna end. We'll see eventually. <laughs> Maybe if there's another baby, I don't know. So. Yeah, those are kind of the, the pregnancies and the experience that I've had. Um, and with the female pregnancies, I gained, well, with the older two, I gained more weight than with the boys. I didn't gain as much weight. Hmm. And uh, my last pregnancy, though, with the girl, I didn't gain as much weight, but I did a lot of working out during the pregnancy mm-hmm. because after number four, I had such bad um, diastasis recti mm-hmm. that yeah. I didn't want that again. So I had to work really hard to heal after number four. And so like during my pregnancy with number five, I specifically um, purchased a prenatal exercise plan okay. so that I could help my stomach muscles stay as strong as they could. And then by like six weeks postpartum, it didn't even look like I had had a baby because I had done the exercises. I think I started around like 18 weeks and then did it up until like 36 weeks. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've started to exercise again because, yeah. Same as last time I started to exercise after the first trimester. I was like, hey, yeah, I'm not going to bother doing it right now. Yeah, I don't think it, it, if you delay it until, like, second trimester or even to, like, mid-second trimester, mm-hmm. I think it's fine. Yeah, but that's supposed to really help with preventing it? Yeah. Okay, I didn't get I it. It just so. helps with the healing afterwards, I think. It wasn't until number with four labor. that it was bad for me. Okay. With number after number one, like there was some healing, and then with two and three, they were both boys. I did not gain a lot of weight, and I just quickly bounced back. But then number four, like just with, and I was surprised with how much weight I gained in that pregnancy because I was so sick, and it was really strange. Like I craved a lot of sweets. Like from the beginning, I was like. I just want candy. And, like, the kid, she has, like, the worst sweet tooth of all of our kids. Like, she was That's just asking so... for vitamins because they're sweet. Like, she has a really bad sweet tooth. And I'm like, oh, even when I was pregnant. That is funny. I, I had those cravings. And I'm not, like, a really big sugary person. Mm. Like, I'd rather salty than sweet. Like, I prefer dark chocolate over milk chocolate because I just don't like the sweetness of it. So it was just a strange thing when I was like, just want like gummies like i have heard that can be a sign of a girl but they're all kind of hard to tell yeah with the boys i craved meat like (laughs) sausages and hamburgers okay it's really weird can't say i've really had that yeah it was so strange right like everybody's pregnancies are slightly different even from the same person and then obviously from one woman to another woman they're going to be, it could be yeah, drastic. Totally different. But those are just kind of my experiences. What does diastasis recti? What does that feel like? Like, how do you know that you have that? Um, you. It's more. I knew that I had it because I still had a pouch like three, four months postpartum okay. that didn't go back. And it looked like I was four months pregnant at four months postpartum. Oh, okay. Um, so for knowing, like, the pouch was a big sign for me, and I also still struggled with, like, the ba- lower backache that you have during pregnancy. 
And so when I just looked it up, that's when I had discovered, oh, maybe my stomach muscles haven't healed like they did last time. And so there's ways, like if you look it up online, like there's ways to show you in videos to determine like how wide what the gap is like for your stomach muscles. And I felt like I could fit my whole fist in between my stomach oh my muscles. Yeah. So I, the, I had purchased, um, a postpartum plan that like, um, there's, there's lots of women out there that sell exercise programs for prenatal and postnatal. So I found one and there's somebody that I, I knew and trusted and I spent six weeks doing vigorous exercises to help heal. And there's certain exercises that you're not supposed to, that you shouldn't do if yeah. you have it because it can make it worse. And so they explained all of that to me and I was like, okay. And I took before and after pictures and it was amazing like how different I looked after the six weeks because my stomach muscles were slowly healing. And like no matter how healthy I ate, I just couldn't get rid of that pouch because the muscles needed to heal and hmm. That's go back. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then once that was once my my body started to heal and I was able to bring them give the muscles strength again my lower back pain went away and I was able to sleep better so and it helps with um that urge to like oh I gotta go to the bathroom right now or like if I were to laugh be like oh man (laughs) yeah I can't laugh I'm gonna pee um so it helped to heal um, the pelvic floor muscles as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. So, I highly recommend any mama afterwards caring for her body physically in mm-hmm. that way if she's struggling because I I got my and like my energy levels were back and I didn't feel so sluggish and I didn't feel as in you know, like you know back pain isn't mm-hmm. fun. So it's it's a good investment in yourself. And if you're caring for your family, right, you need to care for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so how were your labors? Well, um, I can't really complain much. (laughs) Um, I think my longest labor was like four and a half hours. And that, that was probably the worst of them. That was your longest? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was number three. He was in a, a poor position, and my body, I don't think was... Re- so he, I was... I've, uh, okay, let me kind of jump back. So with almost every baby, number one, three, four, and five, I was overdue. Okay. With number two, I was early by, say, like 37 weeks. But what had happened was with my first... So with my first, I was induced 10 days after my due date. And I had an OB. Um, I didn't really know what a midwife was at that point. Okay. And I didn't... The induction experience was really intense. And Mm. it was, like, almost impossible to get through because it was just contraction on contraction. Like, you'd have one contraction that was super hard and super painful, and then it would end, and then, like, 10 seconds later, the next one would come. And there wasn't that break in yeah. between, which I didn't know because it's my first pregnancy, right? So when I had gave birth to my second one naturally, um, 
I realized that that was not natural, like contraction on top of contraction on top right, of contraction. And right. the baby was sunny side up, so I had back labor as well in the first. So um, I eventually wanted to take the midwifery way after that because I, I just associated a hospital birth with an OB. And when we got pregnant with our second, I was like, I want to avoid the hospital at all costs. So how do we yeah. do that? Oh, a midwife. We can have the baby at home. And I remember like, my husband was like, uh, having a baby at home? Is that safe? And then when we met with the midwife, I said, like, okay, well, right now we're looking at a hospital birth with no medication, no intervention. Um, I had intervention with the first baby. And, like, she came out healthy yeah uh i didn't get to hold her for the first like half an hour she was born they just took her away they suctioned fluid out of her mouth they stitched me up they gave her a bath i i didn't understand why i that wasn't was necessary yeah yeah that just didn't seem necessary and she was a really fussy and high needs baby and i wasn't sure if there was a correlation because we didn't have that immediate bonding so um, Did, so why were you induced just because I was overdue. so it just, was just overdue. Okay. Yeah. How long were overdue were you? Ten days. Okay. So I went um, when I was uh, eight days overdue. I had my appointment with my OB. And he was great. I mean, he was an OB. I fully trusted his medical capacities. Yeah. But he, usually I would wait in the waiting room for like an hour and 20 minutes. I hear this about waiting for OBs and stuff. Yeah, and then yeah. sometimes I'd be waiting for like an hour, and then they'd say, oh, we had a rush to a birth, so we're going to have to reschedule. And I'm like, I just wait. And I, at the oh, time, man. I was a full-time student at Laurier, okay. so I always scheduled the appointments that I had on the days that I didn't have class. Right. Or like the afternoon when I knew classes were over. So if I had classes in the morning, I'd schedule for the afternoon. So at least I had that flexibility. But I remember thinking, like, what if you have a full-time job? Or what if... You have ki- other kids. What are you supposed to do for when you're waiting? Um, and I don't fault the OB necessarily. I think it's just a lot of the system. And mm. I, yeah. I'm i not sure what it's like now because I know that they've got rid of some of the testing that they used to do. Like you don't have to test for your protein in your urine anymore at every appointment. Um so I'm not, I don't, I don't know. But I didn't find the experience easy. And right. then I think because I was overdue and he had tried to do a sweep. Um, Did they try castor oil at all? No. He didn't even recommend anything hmm. natural. Yeah, that's, like, well, that's He said I mean. walk. And I'm like, I walk every day. Yeah. Every day I walk. Like, I probably walk a couple miles every day. Like, because at that point I was... Um, we had one vehicle, so my husband would take the car to work, and I would take the bus to school. So I'd walk to the bus stop, and then I'd walk from the bus to yeah, class, you're, and I'd walk in between classes, <laughs> and we'd get home, and after dinner we'd go for a walk, because I remember <laughs> hearing, the more you walk, the faster your labor is. I'm like, okay, sure. Um, and, you know, I don't want to gain too much weight, since I'm eating for two. And, uh, and, and so that was about, like, just walk, and then he was like, you know, and try having sex. Because sometimes that can bring it on. And I'm like, yeah, because that's really comfortable right now. So that was about it. There was no, like, any other 
possibilities that he gave. Um, so it was kind of like, okay, well, baby's overdue. You can be induced on the weekend. You can be induced on the weekend, and you have a higher likelihood of actually being induced, or you can wait, but then I would not get my OB. Or you can have your baby during the week, and when I'm on schedule, but it's most likely that you'll be delayed because more women give birth and are induced during the week. Oh, and okay. at that point, I was like, well, I had felt like my body was never going to go into labor naturally. Uh, he didn't explain that it was common to be 41 plus weeks pregnant yeah. at that point. Yeah. He was like, usually, ba- like, he'd explain, like, usually your first baby comes, you know, uh, maybe a few days overdue. But he's like, yeah, at this point, you know, we're looking at induction. Like, the longer babies in there the more likely that there could be complications. And mm-hmm. the, the larger baby will be and the harder the delivery. Well, my first ended up being my biggest at seven pounds, eight ounces, <laughs> which isn't that big. And, <laughs> yeah. No, and a lot of it, I think, was fluids. Like, she was really puffy in her face mm-hmm. because you, you get so many fluids when you're being induced. Uh, so she yeah. lost quite more weight than my other babies afterwards. And like, well, maybe it was because she was being pumped full of the fluids from the IV, right? Like, you have all this stuff yeah. being pumped into you. So, she was my biggest. Which, people are like, your first was your biggest? And like, yeah, well, maybe it was the intervention. I don't know. I was never induced again, so I can't really compare. Yeah, yeah. So, because of that, all that experience, I wanted to avoid being induced yeah. ever again. And so... Was it pretty painful, too, with the... Yeah. Yeah. I just, I would never, I don't want to, I would not recommend it. And if you have to be induced, I would recommend getting an epidural because it makes it manageable. But then I know that, so once you have one intervention, it can lead to the next, right? So then you get an epidural and now you're trapped on your back. So now you can't potentially get into a position to help baby rotate. Right. You're stuck in a position that's not ideal for giving birth, and then you're more likely to get an episiotomy, or you're more likely to eventually need a C-section. Right? It's just, I remember with my second watching the documentary, The Business of Being Born. Okay. And realizing just the spiral, right? Like, okay, one intervention leads to the next, yeah, leads to yeah. the next, leads to the next. And I was like, I'm so glad that I didn't end up needing a C-section yeah. or an episiotomy. Like, I've heard horror stories about people healing from those. and Or um, I know my husband's cousin, her first baby was stuck. She was induced. She had an epidural. She couldn't move, so they had to vacuum the baby out. And, like, the baby's face was all bruised and swollen oh. and then they had to take the baby to NICU and give the baby oxygen because of it and I'm just like yeah I don't really want my baby in the NICU because of no. intervention no and so I remember with them asking the midwife like well how long overdue can you go yeah and she's like usually like around 10 days we begin the talk of intervention uh, like induction, but you can go up to like we'll let you go to forty two weeks, and then at that point, we're gonna yeah. say something needs to happen. Yeah, with my midwife, she said that the longest they let me go is ten days, but I feel like if I were to ask, they would potentially let me go longer yeah. if I really wanted to. But so because of the first experience when I for my second born for my second pregnancy when I went to the twenty week ultrasound, he was only measuring at like 
17 and a half weeks. Okay. So then they altered my due date. Oh, okay. So they pushed it back, which they never did again, but because they're like, well, you were, you had the induction last time. So when he was born at 37 weeks, he technically was like, according to the original due date, which made sense according to when I tested positive for pregnancy. Right, right. Um, he was like five days early. So, oh, it wasn't, it, it, it they wasn't say he was born at 30, early. and then when okay. he was born, he was six pounds, three ounces. Okay. So they're like, oh, see, he is small. So he, he it really, he, it, you really weren't as far along as you thought you were. And I was like, okay. But then when my next baby was born at 41 weeks, he was six pounds, like 14 ounces. And then when my next baby was born at 41 weeks, she was seven pounds, three ounces. And then when my last was born, she was 12 days overdue. Or were you 13? 12. I think 12 days. And uh, she was seven pounds exactly. So oh. my baby's yeah, they're smaller. not that big. No. no, thankfully. Praise the Lord for that because I can't imagine giving pound birth to like a 10-pound baby. <laughs> So, yeah, so with my with my last pregnancy, they, at 10 days overdue, they're like, we want to do an induce, and I said no. And they're like, we really think it's wise, and I was like, no. I was like, I'm just going to cancel you then. Like, forget it. I'm going to fire you from being my midwives. Uh, did you go with the same midwives for all of the next births? Yeah, so the first with the midwife, the midwives that I had were at KW Midwives, and then eventually they opened their own practice called Blue Heron. Oh, I've and heard so that. so I went back um, to them for pregnancy number three, four, and five. Okay, so you were with them the rest yeah. of the time. Yeah, I did try to get a transfer with number five. When they said that? Uh, no, um, after the first appointment because I waited a long time and then the midwife came into the appointment and was kind of, so, well, she was just kind of, Frank and then she left to answer a phone call and um, the student midwife which I've never opposed with student midwife I've had yeah. student midwives there for most of the deliveries with a midwife I think all like three out of four of the midwifery deliveries there was a student midwife there um, but the student midwife just was uh, she was very pushy, and she was like, well, we want you to go get the 12-week testing. And I was like, look, I don't want the 12-week testing. I don't want the extra ultrasounds. I don't want the blood work. I just do the 20-week ultrasound, and that's it. And she's like, no, like, we're really encouraging all women to do this. And so I was just like, you're not even the midwife. So I was just, you know, emotional and pregnant. Oh yeah, so with my fifth baby, I tr I my appointment. I think my first appointment with the midwives was like ten to twelve weeks, or maybe ten weeks. I think that was like the norm. And I immediately looked up the student midwife who had delivered, who was there for my delivery for baby number four, and found okay. that she was a student midwife at um, in St. Jacobs with the St. Okay. Jacobs midwives. So I emailed St. Jacobs midwives and I said that I was currently with Blue Heron that I had a very bad experience in my first meet um, my first appointment and I had been there 
for other babies and just felt like I didn't want to continue with your care and that this woman had been there as a student midwife to deliver in number four. I felt very comfortable with her and if I could get into their care, I would appreciate it while they were too busy. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then they said by the time I had my baby that she would have been done with her schooling. Oh, okay. And she wouldn't be there anymore, which when I was overdue, I actually ran into her. Oh, yeah, and I said, look, I'm expecting number five, and I'm overdue, and I said, I actually asked for you, but they said that you wouldn't, you would have completed your schooling, and she was, like, so sweet, and she's like, well, I'm an official midwife now, I haven't found a proper placement, because she's more, I want to say she's more natural, Okay. and Blue Heron became more medwives than midwives, at least most of them, um, the, my main midwife that I had for my first experience with a midwife is still at Blue Heron, and she's the only one that I really trusted and wanted to deliver my babies. <laughs> <laughs> and she was the only one when I said I wanted to continue with being overdue with my fifth, was the only one to advocate for me. Okay. And was like, look, I've seen her other pregnancies. Her babies are small. So eventually we ended up coming to a mutual conclusion that if I was willing to get an ultrasound and a non-stress test every other day, I could remain pregnant. Okay. So I compromised. I didn't really want non-stress tests. Yeah. And I didn't really want the extra ultrasounds. But I went with it so that I could just not be induced. Yeah. And then I ended up going into labor naturally. Praise the Lord for that. Um, and so I only had two ultrasounds and one non-stress test. Okay. Thankfully. The first ultrasound was on a Friday, and then the second one was on the Monday because they're closed on the weekends. Mm. So it was nice that it fell over a weekend, so I yeah. had more ultrasounds. And then I was supposed to go for the next one. So I had the one on Monday, and I was supposed to go for the next one on a Wednesday, but then I gave birth. So that was obviously canceled. <laughs> um, that, was, that was the way that they were willing to allow me to remain pregnant. And then... I was given until two weeks, and then they said, then we're going to have to induce you. And I'm like, well, that's Easter Sunday, so can we at least wait till the Monday? Yes. I really don't want to give birth on Easter Sunday. It's a special, you know, it's a special day for myself. I celebrate, you know, the resurrection of our Lord, and I don't really want to be stuck in a hospital on that day. And I'm like, okay, sure, we'll allow you to go 15 days overdue then. I think at that point it actually would have been 16. <laughs> so. With, so with, where did you give birth with the so rest of them? Number one was in the hospital, obviously, because I was induced. Uh, number two was at home, which that was close. Um, my water broke and I didn't go into labor for over 12 hours. Oh. And then at that point they're like, well, there's a risk for infection and your water's been broken this long, if you don't go, um, this is around like 5.30 in the morning at this point that we had the conversation with them. My water broke, I want to say like 4 p.m. on a Friday. And by 5 a.m. on the Saturday morning, they said, your your body hasn't gone into labor. So we're looking at, you might need some Pitocin to get this moving. And I was like, oh man. Yeah, it's like so And so... 
Michelle, my, my favorite midwife, was like, look, the hospital changeovers at 7 a.m. We'll wait until 7 a.m. There's no point in going in now, having one staff for an hour and a half, and then switching. We'll wait until the switch. Now, if you go into labor before then, you can stay home. So they were downstairs, and I went upstairs. My husband was sleeping. Um, our daughter was at down the street at my mother-in-law's. Um, my mom and my sister were with me, and I told him what they said, and I just started crying. I'm like, I don't want to be induced again. So we prayed, and then I told my mom and my sister, I woke him up, and I explained what was happening. And we prayed, and then I went downstairs, and I said, is there anything we can do? <laughs> and they said, well, we have a pump. You can try pumping. Sometimes pumping brings on labor. So I started pumping, okay. and whether it was the prayers or the pumping, I like to chalk it up to the prayers. <laughs> um, within 20 minutes, I started getting contractions, and then they came on more steadily and more painful. So that was probably around like 6 a.m. that the contractions finally started, and then he was born at home at 8.23. That's so short. Yeah. <laughs> so I was glad that he was born at home. It was really nice. Um, and then number three was supposed to be at home. And he was almost born in the car. <laughs> um, so I was overdue, and I started having contractions, and they were getting closer together. And the midwives came over, and the student midwife checked me. She's like, oh, you're seven and a half centimeters. And I was like, oh, great. And then Michelle checked me, and she's like, no, you're only three and a half. What? And How did they get at, that so I know. I know. I was like, that's discouraging. And then I was GVS positive. He was my only baby I was GVS positive for. And I regretted, like, not really knowing what GVS was beforehand. Um, and then testing it. And then, and then getting tested for it and testing positive. So if you're GVS positive, you have to have antibiotics during yeah, delivery. Yeah, yeah. So the student midwife tried to give me the IV, which they can do at home. Midwives in Ontario can give you nice. the IV at home so you can still have a home birth even with GBS positive. Um, and she missed the vein and my <sighs> whole arm swelled up no. and I screamed in pain. Paul came running up thinking I was giving birth. Um, then they removed it and then like I was bleeding everywhere. No. Cause she messed up <laughs> so bad. And then they're like, okay, well we need to try this again. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So that pain immediately stopped the contractions. Like, the labor just stopped. And so, because they had started with the intervention, they gave the IV, right? They're like, well, we waited for the contractions to start again. And they're like, well, we'll break your water. That Maybe that will bring it back on. Nope, it didn't work. So then it was like, oh, wait, go for a walk around the block. Then they gave me um, black and blue cohosh. Oh, and God. I was having, uh, they're like herbs that bring on uterine contractions. Oh, okay. You're not supposed to take them during pregnancy because they bring on uterine, uterine contractions. But the midwives are trained to know like how much to give you. Yeah. I think it was kind of like steeped like a tea. Okay. And it was disgusting. Oh, lovely. It was a tonic. It was a gross tonic tea. And it was supposed to help. But again, it was sort of like. A natural version of 
being induced where it brought on strong, painful contractions that didn't really do much. That's annoying. And then they had me doing all these lunges. And I was just really tired at this point. Um, and so they, I was just like, I can't go on anymore. And then they had tag teamed and the next midwife came in because the other midwife had been at a birth the night before and was just tired from like being up for like 48 hours. Um, so another midwife came in and I just started crying to her and I, I trusted her too. She was an older midwife and very sweet. And I said, Anne, I can't do this anymore. I'm so tired. And she said, look, why don't we go get you an epidural? It will relax you. And then once you're relaxed, your body might go into labor because when you tense up like this, it actually hinders labor. And I'm like, well, really? I could have told you that. I've been tense ever uh. since that IV. And um, I'm allergic to penicillin, so they oh. had to give me clindamycin as the antibiotic, and they didn't have any more at their facility. So they're like, look, it's been eight hours since you got... So what happened was they had given me the antibiotics and nothing happened. So then we just waited, and then... Um, labor didn't start so then there I think or maybe it's four hours maybe it's four hours I can't remember that that detail anyways they're just like you need your next dose of antibiotics soon um so we'll get you the antibiotics we'll get you an epidural and I just remember crying and I was like okay but then I I relaxed because I was like all right I'm just gonna go and then maybe labor will get going and then as soon um as that happened, I started getting contractions. And we packed up a bag to go to the hospital, and I packed some things to eat, and um, maybe it was like 45 minutes because I didn't have a hospital bag packed, and I just kind of did it slowly in between contractions. And then by the time I got to the car, I didn't realize I was starting to go into transition. And I had a really strong contraction and my mom came over and was like, mom, don't touch me. And then I got into the car and we had two kids at that point. So the back door, like I sat in the back so that I could kind of like lay down in the seat and it was child locked and I had a really bad contraction and I'm trying to like open the door to get out of the car and I'm stuck and I'm still banging in the window. I'm like, somebody let me out. My mom's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I'm having a really bad contraction, and I was stuck in the car. So, like, the 15-minute ride to the hospital was gruesome. Uh, I kept getting, like, really strong contractions. And I told my husband, like, drive through the red lights. Like, uh, I, if the police want to pull you over, whatever, like, then he can deliver the baby. So we get to the hospital, and my husband parked it while my mom walked me in. My mom was at... Four out of five of my births. Okay. So my mom was at four or five of my births. So she was there for this one. And um, she walked me into the hospital and she said it was a good thing I was there because I was so out of it that she said I was like walking into walls. Oh my word. Because I was in transition. Yeah. Right? So I'm trying to walk and I have no idea what I'm doing. It's like, hmm. So I get up to the desk and I'm like, the baby's coming. And they're like, no, your midwife called. You're only like four and a half centimeters, honey. I'm like, no, this baby is coming now. Like, just listen to the... 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we're, we, I don't know if we can get you a room. I'm like, then I'm going to give birth right here. And I stood up and I went, oh, and she's like, please don't push out in the hallway. Please, no, we'll get you a room. We'll get you a room right now. <laughs> so I get into the room and the nurse is like, honey, you can't give birth. Your midwife's not here. And I'm like, then it's you and me, baby, bringing in this baby. And she's like, get in the bed. I'm like, I am not getting in that bed. And she says to my mom, she's like, can you help her? And she's like, you're, no, mom, she won't listen to me when she's in the right frame of mind. She's not going to listen to me now. So the nurse literally picked me up and put me in the bed. And then she's like, the baby's coming. I'm like, I told you. She's like, I see the baby's head. And she's like, she's freaking out. I'm like, honey, there was, she was like, there's no OB available. And I'm like, it's you and me. The baby's coming. My midwife walks in and she's like, it's okay. I'll take over. And then, like, right after she walks in, my husband walks in, and he's born. Boom. Like that. Wow. Um, so it was a really quick labor once it started. But he was born at the hospital. And if I, looking back, I was like, if I had realized that all it required was me to just relax. Yeah. And that I was in transition, I would have stayed home. Like, if it, you know, I was going from, like, the 8 centimeters to the 10, I think, is what happened in the car ride. And it just then, seems, like, unnecessary. An unnecessary way that yeah, they want to do Yeah, and all because they're like, well, you need antibiotics just in case. So again, the whole intervention thing caused my body to stress. And so with number four, um, she was born at home and number five was born at home. So we had three out of five were home births. And with her, thankfully I didn't test positive for GPS, but I had a false alarm. So four out of five, uh, three out of five, sorry, <laughs> three out of five. So three out of five were born at home. So with number four, um, I had had false labor around 40 weeks pregnant, and I really thought it was it. I called my mom. Now, my mom lives nine hours away in New York. Oh, okay. So I called her, and as soon as I told her that I thought this was it, she drove up, and... Um, The midwives came eventually, and I was like, this is it. Like, the contractions are getting closer together. They're getting more intense. They checked me and said, actually, you're fully closed. We think that this is just practice labor. And I was like, what? They're like, yeah, we recommend taking a bath, a warm bath and soaking, and eventually these will go away. I'm like, but they're intense, and they hurt. That's weird, yeah. Yeah, and they're like, no, this happens sometimes with, like, pregnancies that are further and also if baby's not in a good position for birthing so baby number one and baby number three were both sunny side up okay and I was wondering if maybe that's why my body hadn't gone into labor better so with number four I had a friend who was a doula in training and so she needed to attend a certain number of births in order to become a doula so she was at the she helped me during the pregnancy to just realize that you know um, I can help baby get into a good position and she gave me all these different exercises to do while pregnant to encourage it. So part of the doula experience is they come during your pregnancy if you want to, like there's different packages I think you can get, but anyways, her, her method was um, you meet with her I think two or three times when you're pregnant. And then she's literally on call for you when it's around your due date. Okay. And then she also came for a postpartum visit. Um, so she was really helpful. We spent like an hour and a half the first time she came to visit. 
and she told me just what her role is and then she asked like what I kind of had in mind with what a doula would be and then she asked me like what my desires are for this the rest of the pregnancy and for the labor and she said that you know she'd be an advocate for me so you know if you know you're in labor and you have a specific request like say like I don't want intervention and you're literally in pain from contractions and someone's trying to push something on you they'll advocate and say like no this is what she requested like until she vocalizes it let's not push this on her right so I really appreciated that aspect of her care and um just her being encouraging with like your body is designed by the lord to give birth and these are steps that you can take to help get baby in a good position and here are some you know easy to manage exercises that you can do to help baby rotate and you know if baby's in a good position then you shouldn't need intervention um so that was that was like eye opening to me because I was like, well, how come the midwives don't do this? And I was like, shouldn't like I thought that they were more natural, um, but they don't. They don't. In fact, I remember asking one of the midwives like, is baby in a good position for birth? And she's like, well, baby's head down. I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't mean baby's in a good position. Like, baby could be posterior, right? Or yeah. So. I was a little frustrated with that. So it was really nice. I had her as a doula for my fourth pregnancy, and then she actually came for the birth. It was a surprise that she came for the birth for number five. Um, And so when I was in labor with number four, like real labor, I wasn't sure if it was real labor. Now she, so she had come when I had the false labor, and then when I was having the real labor in number four, I had texted her the night before that said, we were out for dinner and, and a friend had given us a gift card and she's, they're like, she said, take the kids out, go out for dinner. Like you're 41 weeks pregnant. The last thing you want to think about is making dinner. So yeah. we went out for dinner and I just felt kind of crampy and I went to the bathroom and I, there was like fresh blood. Oh. And so I texted her and I was like, there was fresh blood. Like, should, should I be alarmed? And she's like, oh no, no, no. It's probably just like, it's, it's just a little bit. I said, yeah. She's like, it's, was there mucus mixed in? I said, there was. How did you know? She's like, it's your mucus plug. <laughs> it's okay. It's normal. She's like, if you have a little bit of spotting from here on out and for the next, like, 24 hours until, she says, most likely baby will be born within the next 24 hours. Um, if it's heavy bleeding, call your midwife. If yes. it's just a little bit of spotting, that's perfectly normal. So I was really appreciative of that. Um, earlier in that same pregnancy, I had called the midwife on call because I was my diclectin had run out my because it's really expensive if you don't have benefits so I had called the midwife and asked on call um, I said look I tried to go without diclectin um, but I can't keep anything down Um, I need another prescription put in for me and she was mad that I had called her on call instead of like during office hours And I tried, like, I had never met her in person at this point, this midwife. So then I was dreading going to the appointment that I had with her. And it just left a sour taste in my experience with her for the remainder of that pregnancy and then the next pregnancy. Um, So 
I was thankful that I was had Jen as this doula that I could reach out to and know that she doesn't see me as an inconvenience. Yeah. Right? Like, this is her passion is to be there for women in birth and before birth and after birth because, you know, it's a, it is a beautiful experience getting, yeah. giving it life, is. right? Yeah. Giving birth to life and carrying life and caring for life. And if you have the right support, then it makes the experience even better. Right. So she came when I was in the, the real labor um, and I just texted her that morning and said, yeah, I've had a lot of pressure, but I don't really have any contractions. And she said, well, let me get my kids off to school and then I'll come by and see how you're doing. So by the time she did that, it was pro- like she probably got here, I want to say like 9.45-ish in the morning. Um, and I wasn't having a lot of contractions. I showered and did my hair and I was just like, it's just a lot of pressure and some spotting. And then, um, I'd say like around maybe 10, uh, 15, I started getting some strong contractions and she helped me through them. She has these techniques she took like tennis balls and like would rub it on your back and it would interesting it kind of took the focus of the pain off a little bit and made the contractions more manageable so um i know that doulas can be expensive um i mean she was a doula in training so she i didn't have to thankfully pay for her it was a it was a blessing because we don't have coverage for doulas some people do but i know that they also work with your finances so if it's something that would be kind of expensive that they would work like through payment plans and stuff um, I would recommend it like if you can swing it somehow I think that having a doula makes a huge difference even if you have a midwife so that's just my that's my recommendation for okay. moms that are having a baby and even if you have a great, like my husband's amazing during labor and my mom's generally there, it's just, she does, she has the training, right? The doula has this, this unique training yeah, and has gone to classes and continues to learn and educate herself on how to provide care during, for a woman during labor and after labor. So she really helped me focus. And then when I started to get, further along she encouraged me with number four to call the midwife and I was like look I don't think so what if this is just false labor again I've only been in labor like I've only been in labor for like an hour if that yeah and she's like no I think it's time to call and I was like okay well I'll trust her judgment so we called and um the midwife came and she checked me and she's like wow you're eight and a half centimeters and your water's bulging baby's almost here and wow. so the midwife eventually had me lay on my side because she didn't want me to give birth yet because the backup midwife hadn't arrived. And so the, you usually have two midwives, right? Like one midwife focuses on mom and the, the, uh, the second midwife, the backup midwife, focuses on baby. Uh-huh. So she's like, the backup midwife isn't here. I don't want you to have this baby yet. She'll be here soon just wait and so she put me on my side and I was in so much pain and I remember looking at Jen and I was like Jen I can't do this 
Like, they can't do this. And she's like, remember, Christ says I, you can do all things through him who strengthens you. He's going to give you the strength. And I was like, okay. And then she prayed Aww. with me. And I was like, okay, we can do this. And she's like, squeeze my hand. And she sat there and I squeezed her. Now, meanwhile, Paul wasn't there because he went downstairs to get paper towels. <laughs> so, so all this is happening really quickly. And I'm like, okay. So I squeezed her hand and I'm like, it's time. And I went, mm. and we have a, like a big mirror in our bedroom. And she's like, I can see baby's head. I can see baby's head. And the midwife's like, oh, no, I'm not ready. And so she screams. She's like, Paul, baby's coming. So I was just really thankful that she was there. You know, and then Paul came, and then he grabbed, and then she's like, okay, he's here. He's here. He's going to grab your hand. I'm like, okay. Um, and then baby came, boom, just like that. Um, wow. So Such I was. Such a short labor. Yeah. I think hers was an hour and 30 minutes is what it was recorded as. Oh, my. And then with number five. I so the midwife had been there for 15 minutes by the time I gave birth it was very short and after my experience with number three where I felt like they were just staring at me waiting for me to go into labor I really didn't want that with number four so with number four I really appreciated having the midwife there to essentially just deliver the baby and not stare at me especially because I knew that the midwife that was on call wasn't Michelle if it had been Michelle it may have been different but yeah you know which midwife is on call and I was like oh I don't really want her staring at me and I had a friend at the time that had given birth relatively recently who had had that same midwife and she was like I was in labor and pain and she's just like sitting there eating a sandwich talking to somebody on the phone it was just like really irritating so with number five I remember having the ultrasound on the Monday and going to the hospital after the ultrasound for the non-stress test and seeing Michelle and asking her like okay well did you get the results from this ultrasound she's like yeah baby's not in the ideal position um baby's facing you know your side like head down but you know facing your side so not really ideal for labor so because of that it may be that labor won't come naturally I was just so discouraged and we had some extra intervention with that pregnancy because during the 20-week ultrasound, they couldn't find a nasal bone. Okay. So we ended up going to McMaster Hospital and going through, like, two extensive, high-intense ultrasounds, which I wasn't crazy about. And they still couldn't find a nasal bone. Oh. And so they gave us a 1 in 8 chance for Down syndrome. And I took a blood test. I refused an amnio because... They said that there was a chance that it could cause miscarriage or it could oh. cause infection. Okay. And I was like, no. Um, so the blood test is gives you, uh, the blood test is just for the mama. So they took my blood, like if you were to go, you know, get your blood taken normally. Yeah. For pregnancy. So they took it and then your blood, like mama's blood has a bit of baby's DNA in it. So they test your your blood and search for the baby's DNA and from that they can potentially give you a, a, a high risk for Down syndrome or low risk. Okay. So I did that and they called back and they said well it came back as low risk but that doesn't mean no risk. So they kept wanting to push more intervention. More ultrasounds. We really think you should get an amnio. We said no. If baby has Down syndrome we're, gonna keep we're keeping this baby. And we went into the appointment with a geneticist and we just said look we're keeping this baby no matter what. 
like if or if the Lord takes this baby during the pregnancy, that's up to him. And if the Lord takes the baby after the pregnancy, that's up to him. But this baby, we love this baby, and no matter what, we just want this baby to have a safe entry into the world. So whatever is the best for baby, I said, you know, I do have fast labors. So if that means that I need to have baby in a hospital because baby's going to need oxygen, then we can talk about an induction. But until then. So once the um, blood work came back low risk, my one midwife, Michelle, was willing to allow me to have a home birth. She said, okay. look, it looks like baby's just slower to develop. She also, um, baby also didn't have fully the spine. Her lower spine hadn't ossified either, which they thought was strange, but they didn't know why. <laughs> Maybe baby just was developing at baby's own time. Um, And we should stop trying to overanalyze everything. That's kind of what I took from it. So they said that a home birth was fine, that it didn't look like that baby was going to have Down syndrome, that there have been babies born at home that they didn't even know was going to have Down syndrome, and that they they would be equipped with oxygen for baby and ready to, you know, call 911 if, and there's a, um, an ambulance just like two minutes down the road. So they said, you know, if it turns out that baby needs intervention at, yeah. and you're home, we can call them and they'll get you quickly to the hospital. Uh, I had also spoken to another mom who had given birth at home and her daughter ended up having um, a lack of oxygen that led to cerebral palsy. And she was told that even if baby had been born in the hospital, that it would have still been the same situation. Baby still would have been deprived of oxygen. Okay. Because unless they had, like, given her an ultrasound ahead of time, which they wouldn't have. So she said, like, look, you know, if they think that this is a big concern, like, giving birth in the hospital won't necessarily give baby a different outcome. Right. So I said, okay. So we decided, you know, after prayer that we were going to have baby at home. And anyway, the last the last ultrasound right had said that baby was not in the best position, and there was still no nasal bone, which they didn't know what that meant. I'm like, okay. So I figured that labor was going to be long and drawn out again because that's what they told me. Baby's not in an ideal position. Labor's going to be long and drawn out, like baby number <laughs> three. It's going to be start and stop, start and stop. You're probably going to need to come in for an induction anyway. So when labor began, it kind of started in the middle of the night. Uh, I had some contractions that I slept through. And I remember having a dream where I was asking for Midol. I was like, I'm having some really bad cramps. Does anybody have Midol? And I never take Midol, so it was a really (laughs) weird dream. And then a little while later, I got up to go to the bathroom. And when I stood up, I felt the contraction. And I was like, oh, I must have been contracting while I was sleeping. Hence the dream. Yeah. Where I was like, ah. Like, I could kind of feel pain in the dream, but I didn't associate it with, like, being real. Um, So there must have been some contractions sporadically throughout the night. But it wasn't wasn't that awful because I slept through them. And then when I woke up in the morning, I felt some pressure. And then... um, the day before, so this is Wednesday, so it was the Tuesday, the day before that they originally wanted to induce me. So my friend, who's the doula, had texted me to say, did they induce you? How are you doing? And I said, no, I got them to delay it. Um, praise the Lord for that. Um, I said, I am having some pressure and some contractions. 
to this morning, so maybe that will lead to something. Like, I feel like today could be birthday, but they didn't give me a lot of hope at my appointment on Monday. So she said, well, she has a rebozo, and she was doing some training with rebozo. So a rebozo is a long woven piece of fabric, kind of like a really long scarf. Mm-hmm. And what you do is mommy can be on like all fours or you can be standing as well. But usually you can go on all fours and then um, the doula or at one point in the pregnancy, she had shown my husband how to use it. So you bring it around your belly and then the whoever's holding the so they stand above you someone holds both ends of the scarf above you as the scarf is over your belly and then they just kind of wiggle it and they pull up and it actually takes the pressure off of you so kind of like when you go swimming you can't feel baby's weight as much it kind of takes the weight off of your lower back and just allows them to hold baby which you know sometimes when you're pregnant you're like I just wish I could like pass this baby to my husband to just hold for a few minutes because I'm so it's so heavy so it takes the weight off of you and it also you can gently jiggle baby into a a safe position yeah um a lot of Spanish traditions incorporate rebozo in pregnancy and even in labor you can like google it and there's videos um I saw one like where they took the rebozo a video and the lady was speaking in Spanish and I speak like I took Spanish as a kid uh, in high school and middle school so I know a little bit but she was speaking so fast I only picked up a little tiny bit but she took it around the mom's butt and like jiggled her butt really really fast and I was watching it with my sister I'm like that's why Spanish people are so good at salsa dancing (laughs) it's just like oh so it's funny number our, our number five does like to dance a lot I don't know. I don't think it was really the rebozo. So anyway, my we had borrowed the rebozo for a little, from her, the doula, for a little while. And my sister came over and she was trying to, she did the butt jiggle on me. And so this, she said, well, why don't I come over? You have the rebozo at your house and I'll just maybe help get baby into a good position. And then eventually labor will start is the, the hope and the prayer. Yeah. So she came over maybe around like 10 a.m. And, uh, like, I was having some contractions, but they were, like, five minutes apart and then seven minutes apart and, like, you know, eight minutes later and then three minutes later. They were just all over the place. And then um, we never did the rebozo, though. And she helped during the contractions. And then I want to say around, like, 1040, again, the labor started to pick up a bit. And she helped me manage the contractions. And I knew that there was a change because after that contraction around like 1040, 1045, um, I turned to my husband and said, you're never touching me again. <gasps> never touching me again. That was a painful contraction. And she's like, okay, this is a good sign. Um, and it was interesting. All through this labor, I had an urge to drink a lot of water. And so after every contraction, I peed. Because okay. I was just drinking so much. And it was mostly clear. And I was having some spotting. And so I asked Jan. I said, is this normal? And she's like, again, light spotting is completely normal. It means your body's dilating. It's doing what it needs to do. There's no cause for concern unless it's heavy bleeding. Yeah. And so it was just so nice, again, to have her there saying these things. And like, okay. Because it just gave me a sense of comfort. And I can just continue in peace, laboring at home without 
getting tense and nervous yeah. and scared because labor shouldn't be scary. So um, she helped me manage through the pain and then around 11 o'clock I was like I have to go to the bathroom and she's like now are you sure it's just the bathroom or is this baby? I was like no like I have to go to the bathroom. So I went to the bathroom and right afterwards I had a strong contraction and I was like oh and I was like I have to go to the bathroom again. She's like okay but just make sure you don't have a toilet baby. So then after that contraction, I came out of the bathroom, or after going to the bathroom and relieving my bowels, I came out and she's like, I think your body's getting ready for baby. I think it's time to call the midwife. And I was like, Jen, it hasn't even been an hour. She's like, no, it's it's time to call the midwife. And so I was just about to call and I got a contraction and my husband, so my husband, uh, so with the midwives, what happens is it's an answering service. So I called and I said, hi, my name's Kristen Jukes. I think I'm in labor. I'm, you know, these are my midwives. I'm on, you know, team da 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 da. And so they're like, okay, we'll contact your midwife and have her call you back. Yeah. So when the midwife called back, that's when I was having the strong contraction. So I, Paul answered the phone. And while he was on the phone, I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't want to take me to the hospital and cut this baby out. I can't do it. So the midwife heard that and was like, shoot, baby's coming now. So she called another midwife who lives closer because she's like 20 minutes away. She's like, look, you're only like 15 minutes away. Can you get there now? Baby's coming. No, I didn't know this until after. So then um, Paul hangs up and I, and I said, I have to go to the bathroom again. And now in case, in case baby came too quickly, I had purchased. And I was kind of hoping that, you know, I could just get things ready. So anyway, we had the bed ready. We had, you know, a mattress protector over the bed. We put sheets, like a, a crappy sheets on the bed and towels. And I purchased, you know, those like pee mats that like that you can buy at the store that you usually like put under somebody, like mm-hmm. if they're older yeah. and they can't get out of bed, you know, in case they leak through. And, and I think they use them at the hospital when you're giving birth too. So anyways, I had purchased a pack of those leak pads from the store and I was like, all right, um, can you just get one? Because I think I have to go to the bathroom again and I don't want to move. Now I was standing and I felt com- like sitting down to go to the bathroom hurt so much. So I just wanted to stand and I didn't care. I was like, whatever, if I, you know, crap on the floor <laughs> in my bedroom, whatever, I'm in labor, I don't really care. So we put the mat down on the floor and I walked over to my husband and I was like, baby, I can't do this anymore. He's like, yes, you can. And then Jen came over and she's like, Rem-, and she rubbed my back. She's like, remember, you can do this. God designed you to give birth. You've got this. And I'm like, okay. And I said, Paul's like, the contraction's coming. And so I gripped onto his, I'm standing, and I gripped onto his arms. And I was like, I just need to push. And then my water broke and baby fell out. Just like that. What? And right after like I'm, I'm standing and my knees like collapsed together to try to catch baby oh okay now my friend Jen was aware that this was it so she she reached to grab and she caught baby which okay, nice. like she was just so like she's like thank you for this experience I probably will never get to deliver another baby again like this is amazing <gasps> so she caught baby and right after like I mean this all happened so fast and I said to Paul I was like what time is it I'm like, who thinks of that? But I was like, what time is it? He was like, oh, it's 11.19. I'm like, okay, baby's born at 11.19. And I was like, all right, I think I'm going to pass out. So they're like, okay, okay. So then they put some of the mattress 
protectors on the bed, like the, the, the pee pads, the puddle pads, whatever it's called. And I climbed into the bed and at the midwife, the backup midwife just got in the door and, and baby started crying and she's like, okay, I hear baby crying. That's a good sign. Aww. And she like runs into the room and she's like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. The baby was born. And, and meanwhile, it happened so fast and my body is like yeah. tr- shaking, like violently. I'm just like shaking. And she's like, it's okay. It's okay. And she's like, okay, we need to deliver the placenta now. So because she was there to deliver the placenta and because they eventually realized that like I didn't try to ignore them and delay it, like they realized like my midwife came and she was mad. She was like, why didn't you call us? And my mom was there and was like, it happened so fast. My mom was like, I went down to get paper towels, kind of like I had a call. And all of a sudden they're like, the baby's coming. And she's like, I'm going to miss it. So my eldest was there to watch the birth she wanted to be there Aww. she had wanted to be there for number four but because she thought like maybe it was going to be another false alarm when she was actually born so then she was disappointed she wasn't there so she was here for number five to be born and so that was really special um for her and then so she was like that happened so fast i had no idea that it happened so fast and like the midwife is listening and my mom's like honey myra you need to realize that not every labor goes this quickly, okay? Like, this was abnormally fast. And she's like, I can't believe the baby's here already. So then the midwife realized it wasn't like I was in labor for hours and hours yeah, and just exactly. delayed calling her. It just, it really actually went faster than we anticipated. But I kind of enjoyed that. I kind of enjoyed not having them there. I enjoyed not having anybody do cervical checks because I always find those discouraging because they're like, oh, you're at six centimeters. You're like, only six? Or right? like, oh, you're three and a half. I'm like, only three yeah. and a half? So it was so nice not having that. And then usually by the time they lay you down for a cervical check, you're having a contraction during it, and then that's painful. So I just really, really love number five's birth because there was almost no intervention. It was really laid back. There wasn't stress. There wasn't people staring at me I felt like <laughs> waiting for me like okay we're on the clock and um you know I was surrounded by people that I loved and loved me and um and I, I you know a nice thing about having a doula as well is she wrote down like a lot of details and saves it for you and then like she'll email oh, it to that's you nice. yeah so it was really nice just seeing all of the details of the birth and be like, okay, at ten twenty this happened, at ten twenty five that happened, and you know. yeah, that was cool. So that was that. We I really appreciated that. And did you uh, um, did you find out the genders with? Oh yeah, with all, all of them. them. I'm okay. a planner, and so I just I just always want to know. Yeah. Um. So none of like the the delivery isn't like a surprise waiting to find out what it was. Now with number five, so after she was born. And I was in bed, and Jen put the baby on my chest. I immediately went to her nose. So I was like, is there a nasal bone? Oh. And there was. Yeah. There was a nasal bone. Their machines didn't pick it up, but there was. And so I was like, ah, intervention. It It was just so frustrating. And, like, since then, I've heard so many people have false alarms and be scared into potentially aborting the baby because it could have down syndrome because they didn't see this or they did see that and um i don't know trust the lord like he designed this baby and you know if 
if this baby had had Down syndrome, we we'd still love her just the exactly. same. If baby had, had Down syndrome, obviously babies would need some more health care during baby's life, but that's okay. You'd still love baby just the same as if you know she's healthy. Yeah. So the midwife arrived in time to deliver the placenta, and because of that, we were able to still they still signed off as. On the birth certificate. I've heard, I know people who did not have the midwife present at the birth and didn't call the midwife till after baby was born on purpose. And sometimes those midwives won't sign the birth certificate. So then you have to go through this whole rigmarole in order to get baby birth certificate and a health card. Yeah, but thankfully the midwives didn't put me through that. Um, They realized that it happened really fast. And it was interesting. So they get there, and they're kind of scolding me for not calling sooner. Oh my. And meanwhile, you know, I just gave birth. And they said, well, didn't Michelle tell you that you needed an IV during labor? I was like, no. Why would I need an IV during labor? They're like, well, it's number five. So they, they were scolding me because I needed, apparently, to have an IV during labor with number five because you're more at risk for postpartum hemorrhaging during the, with number five. Oh, okay. I didn't know that, and I'm glad I didn't know that because I think I would have been scared during the delivery. I was already kind of nervous because they said the baby might have Down syndrome. Um, and so I remember thinking, well, maybe I'll just stay pregnant and then I'll keep baby safe, right? Like, <laughs> So then if I can meet all the baby's health needs in the womb and keep her safe. So there was a little bit of hesitant, hesitancy because of that false diagnosis. Um, but I just kept, like, my husband kept reminding me, like, this baby, the Lord gave us this baby, the Lord, this baby's in the Lord's hands, like, whatever, however many days this baby has, we will love that baby, and the Lord will be with us if the, he takes the baby home, because baby doesn't have good health, right? And yeah. so I was like, okay, thank you. Sometimes during pregnancy, it's hard to be emotionally strong. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, um, I was glad that I didn't know I needed needed quote-unquote an IV and I said well I think my body just naturally knew and I just kept drinking fluids I was just drinking 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 and staying hydrated because essentially isn't that an all the IV would be is like sugar water like what else would the IV give you I have no idea I don't know so I didn't have any strong postpartum bleeding Um, the recovery was pretty smooth I actually had less painful contractions after. Like, you know how the uterus contracts in order to go back yeah. after you have the baby? They weren't as painful as they were with number four. And, uh... <laughs> I was postpartum and breastfeeding, like, after the labor? Um, so I, I breastfed all the babies. Did you have any issues with that? And... Um, number four had a hard time latching, and so I contacted the doula uh, and just, well, we were just texting, and she asked how it was going, and I said, the latch is really poor, and I'm getting really chapped and starting to bleed, and I just don't want to nurse anymore. So she came over, and I guess I just expected, now there was a almost four-year gap between number three and number four. So I kind of was like, I've done this three times before. I know what I'm doing. And then she just wasn't latching well properly. And I just wasn't catching it. And so 
just bad latches led to pain. And so she came over and she had said, okay, well, let me see you latch. And I showed her and she's like, no, like that's why this is getting painful. And then she gave me like a salve that I could put on that yeah. would help heal. Um, and she showed me how to properly attach baby and she encouraged me to continue to use the boppy so okay. that I the baby would be in like a, a better position um, and that it wouldn't, she wouldn't like be pulling on my breast while nursing. So I really appreciated that again because I just felt like the care from the midwives it, afterwards, it was just kind of like, check, 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 bye. And oh. they weren't really as attentive as I thought that they would be. Now after number three, I, and I think it depends on what midwife is giving you your postpartum care because when I had number three, I remember the midwife that delivered the baby, she sat with me for like a good 20 minutes and was like, okay, I want to see you nurse on both sides. I want to see baby latch. I want to see baby gulp. I want to hear baby eat. So again, I think it all depends on the midwife yeah, and what they expect yeah. to give or if they're just I, wanting to get it, like get the appointment done and over with and move on to the next patient, like if that's how they kind of see you. So again, that's why like I would encourage if you can, if at all possible, to have a doula so that you have that extra help. My mom was there and I remember asking her like, what am I doing wrong? She's like, honey, I haven't nursed a baby in like 25 years. I don't remember what a ideal latch looks like. Yeah. So it was really nice to have somebody who was trained to help me with that. Yeah. Um, um, and it wasn't always easy and when your milk supply comes in, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't feel good. It hurts. Yeah. And sometimes you get like really engorged. And I would say that probably after like a good few weeks, you know, as baby gets a little bit bigger and the baby's mouth grows, that you get into a better routine yeah, with sure. breastfeeding. And it's not giving birth and breastfeeding isn't like what movies and TV make it out to be. <laughs> and I would say just don't give up. And even if like baby is gaining slowly, like you can still ask if you really want to breastfeed only, you can really advocate, advocate for yourself. And I would say that that's probably like the number one advice that I would want to give a mom to be or a new mom is just trust that what, what you desire for your baby is a good desire, you know, especially like if you have a relationship with the Lord and you bring it to him, like advocate for yourself. And if you're kind of hormonal and you can't, then ask somebody else to. Yeah. Like if it's your spouse, like if your husband is the one or if you have a, a mom that's involved or like a sibling or a doula or somebody, just be like, no, like she wants to do this. Um, Let's encourage her. Yeah. And if you're really struggling and it's okay to get help, it's okay to ha have somebody assist you with house chores, it's okay if breastfeeding is going horribly wrong, it might seem, or your milk supply isn't coming in and you do some supplements or you eventually yeah. give your baby a bottle. Like, you can't beat yourself up over certain things. Exactly. Like, if you end up getting induced, you just, in those situations, you just have to, like, give it to the Lord. Like, okay, this is what happened. 
It was out of my control. I'm trusting that you will redeem the hurt in this that yeah. I experienced. Like, not all burrs are blissful. Sometimes right. afterwards, even if it's a, a healthy, uncomplicated, unmedicated labor, like, maybe you just don't feel attached to baby right away. And there's nothing wrong with you or baby. Like, that just sometimes happens. Sometimes, like, after I have... Um, females every time I get severe postpartum anxiety okay. and I need someone to remind me of the truth and I need to just be honest and say this is where I'm at right now I'm really anxious about this and like my husband's really good at coming alongside me and saying like okay that's not really logical I know that right now you're thinking very emotionally with your hormones so how can I help you I'm like just remind me of the truth the truth of God's in control or these scriptures or whatever it is um yeah. And and just so. know that my emotions are all over the place and <laughs> I need someone to help me be rational. Right? Yeah. Like reach out for help and advocate for yourself and if you can't have somebody that will. Because it it is a really beautiful time and it is a really unique time and it's a very emotional time and there's a lot physically going on with you and physically going on with baby and maybe right. baby has a tongue tie or maybe baby has colic like my first was fussy all the time and then she had a dairy sensitivity so whenever I had dairy and I nursed her she'd essentially like vomit all well not vomit but just throw up you know we can have we, we can have a lot of desires that are good for labor and postpartum and sometimes just what happens isn't how we intended to go and sometimes there are some complications and having a good support team and just knowing what you're desires are right like okay well my baby's born prematurely we never could have anticipated that but I still would like to breastfeed baby how can we work with babies prematurely being premature and still allowing me to to breastfeed what does that look like instead of just saying like okay well baby is born premature it's easier to just bottle feed like don't you know don't give up on those desires that you have if there are some hiccups and difficulties or battles along the way right that's good advice <laughs> i didn't even have to ask the advice question <laughs> that's good don't push yourself too hard i think that's another piece of advice after number four i really pushed myself af- and then i suffered for it for a while so with number five i had read about the fourth trimester and mm-hmm. there were i mean not all of it i i don't take all of it into consideration because some of it's kind of new age but um just the there is this practical aspect of it where it was like okay stay in stay in bed for the first two days unless you have to get up to go to the bathroom or shower and then have people bring you your food in bed and stay in bed with baby for the first two days and then and drink lots and lots of water and then after those first two days you can slowly start to like be on the couch Mm -hmm. but be on the couch for like be in bed and in the on the couch for like two or three more days and so like doing that for like a week until you're back to your to like getting on your feet more because you know giving birth is a big ordeal you just gave birth to a human and then you have this giant scar inside you where you lost yeah. an organ that you grew so you grew a baby and an organ and now that organ's not there and the baby's not there and the baby's taking your nutritional needs from nursing so 
you know, just make sure that you, you know, you get rest and you take care of yourself and you don't push yourself too hard or have unrealistic expectations. Those unrealistic expectations can destroy us, especially with social media these days and looking and thinking that everybody else has it, got it all together and their life is perfect and it's just you. No, it's not just you. Don't look at social media. Like, having a baby is a big deal and you need rest and you need to be refueled. Take, accept the meals, accept somebody coming and doing your laundry, go to bed a little bit earlier, turn your phone off sooner and rest a bit more and don't feel like you have to do it all or that you're less than other women if you can't do it or if you're struggling longer. Right. We all have different journeys and we all have different challenges and Well, thank you for coming on. Um, it was really nice to chat with you. <laughs> well, thanks for interviewing me and, and listening to the lengthy stories of a mom who has five babies. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to another episode of Beauty of Birth Podcast, and I will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Theme song brought to you by my husband, Joel Pennings, playing on the bass guitar, and myself playing the electric piano.